Hey everybody, I'm Neil Blackman, host of the Florida Basketball Hour. Just a reminder that if you like the work that Eric Fawcett and myself have done this season on Florida Basketball Hour and all the guests we've had, um, please take a moment to go to Apple and subscribe um, on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or um, Spotify. You know, hit us up with a heart. Any of the places that you can subscribe to our show, which is on a host of platforms from uh, Google to Stitcher to Apple and beyond. Um, Please go ahead and do that for us. We'd really, really appreciate it. Um, Anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for making our uh, first season really special. We've had 15,000 listens to our show um, in just three months. So uh, the show is growing and we're looking forward to spending the off season with you too. Go Gators. All right, everybody. I'm Neil Blackman. I'm with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. This is the Florida Basketball Hour. We are going to talk about a heartbreaking loss to LSU last night on senior night. Um, Florida did a lot of things right last night to kind of get in position to win the game. And then they... You know, for for any number of reasons, I guess, uh, fall short in overtime, Eric. Um, kind of your just your initial thoughts. Well, I just feel like they uh, they had a chance to win at the end of regulation. They had a chance to win at the end of overtime, and I thought that uh, uh, both were handled pretty poorly. I think that at the end of regulation, um, to be up two. Uh, by making a bucket, meaning you can set your defense and the way that they still just let Tremont Waters uh, run straight down the heart of the floor and, and get a layup at, at the buzzer. I thought that was uh, pretty poorly done. And then, of course, you've got that uh, you've got that final possession, which I think we'll probably be talking about for a little while here, um, that obviously turned into uh, turned into absolutely nothing. So uh, with two chances to win, I would say they had two uh, pretty, pretty poor possessions, um, a poor defensive possession at the end of Um, at the end of regulation and then obviously a poor offensive possession at the end of overtime. And uh, it's not even often you have the chance to, uh, in the same game, have, have two chances to win like that. And uh, you know, they, they did have two chances to win and, uh, and couldn't cash in. Let's start with the, um, let's start with the end of regulation. I mean, they run this LSU comes out in a zone and Florida handles it beautifully. And um, well, I should say the first pass was a little scary. But but yeah. then Keontae Johnson knew exactly what to do. And uh, then Hudson hits the shot. And then um, let's just – I mean, let's go ahead and diagram sort of without a diagram. Diagram without a diagram. Uh, all the things that go wrong in the six seconds that Florida has to, to kind of seal their birth to the NCAA tournament. Well, obviously, I mean, uh, the ball goes through the hoop which obviously gives you a chance to, uh, to set your defense. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a scramble play. You know, they came up with, with a little bit of pressure and um, in a very similar fashion to how, how Florida has kind of uh, uh, had, had let something like this happen before. Um, they just allowed Trayvon Waters to just dribble, dribble his way down the floor. And um, a lot of times when you're playing full court defense, kind of one of the terms is um, you've got to be able to turn a guy um, just to not let him go into a straight line, not letting him go, uh, you know, just making him, if he's dribbling with his right hand, going towards the right sideline, you've got to turn him. So he starts dribbling to his, uh, to his left. And uh, you've got to turn him at least once or twice up the floor. And that just really didn't happen. And 
uh, that was just something where we saw that Andrew Nemhard, who's a, who's a great young player and, and does a lot of things well, um, he's just not an elite defender, and uh, he just got burned by Waters. So um, I kind of wanted to touch on the help, right? Because I felt like um, Florida had – well, really, it was three because Malik Grady, the uh, longtime listener and, and friend of the pod, pointed out a third. But I thought there were two – help defense breakdowns as well. It wasn't just Nimhart. Like the first one I felt like was Kayvon Allen, which was probably the most egregious. Um, just because I didn't feel like they were going to dump to Javante Smart for a winning three, which is where Kayvon was on the floor. And once he saw Waters put his head down, I just felt like Kayvon should have stepped over and tried to stop the ball. Um, so let's just stop stop there and kind of your if you saw that. Right. That's a that one's tough. Um I, I think when you see a guy with a head of steam like that, uh you're probably not expecting the the drop off for a three. Um but at the same time, I mean common kind of basketball um just what you kind of do uh, on defense is that you you don't want to help one pass away. You don't really want to dig down. And I know that's lots of uh that's kind of how you play defense normally. Um, the, you know, the end of the game with, with one shot coming in the final seconds, things kind of change a little bit. Um, but at the same time, it is kind of a, a fundamental basketball to not be helping one pass away there. So though I see that um, Kayvon Allen had the chance to make a play there, um, if, I'm, if I'm Allen, I, I probably I, – I don't really blame Allen in that situation. And I say that because, um, for example, let's say – let's say that Kayvon Allen um, does dig down there, tries to stop Waters. Waters does give it to, to Smart, and he's got a wide-open jump shot, and he hits it, and LSU wins the game. Um, I think that if you're Kavarius Hayes, you're saying, like, hey, uh, you know, I, I'm in help here. You're not in help. You're one pass away. Why are you digging down? And I would say that, that was more of a fundamental uh, – that would have made for a little bit more of a fundamental basketball error. So I actually don't fall okay. Allen there. But I do, I do see where where that kind of um, uh, where that kind of thought comes from. Um, but as I mentioned, uh, yeah, I think that Kavaris Hayes was the guy that uh, was in the help position, and uh, I'll let you speak about. Yeah, him. I mean, I thought, and and uh, you know, it's an interesting. Um, you know, I liked I liked that I, the the divergence of opinions on Allen there, and I, and I, the the reason I thought it was bad was because it was ball side. Um, at least in terms of four four waters, but I, I then I think I understand your point of view, and especially on a night where Javante Smart uh, was really good, kind of thinking through it, you know, it makes a little more sense. The the bigger issue I thought was was Kavarius Hayes for two reasons. Um, one because he has to anticipate the waters isn't going to give that ball up by the time he's blowing by Nimhard's hip. Um, and I think he knows that, and he's one of the best rim protectors in the country. Uh, so, so, you know, it's time to step up and, and contest a shot. Second reason is uh, I just don't – if if he steps to the lane to contest the shot, he's still in good defensive guarding position to contest a dump off, in my opinion, based on how quick that play is happening. Um, and it also becomes a pretty tough dump off pass with Jalen Hudson there too. Um, so kind of your thoughts on that. 
Well, uh, I mean, once again, I was talking kind of conventional basketball wisdom about why I don't think that Allen should have helped there. Um, also, conventional basketball wisdom was if you're Kavarius Hayes, uh, you've got to step up and help. And if the drop-off pass comes behind you, that's got to be Jalen Hudson's man. Uh, you know, Kavarius Hayes is the help. If he steps up, someone's got to be there to help right. the helper. So um, I, I do see, um, though I don't think it was, you know, terribly contested by, by Hayes, Um I, I, you know, maybe wish he made a play a little bit better there. But at the same time, once again, I mean, like Andrew Nemhart got burned. And when when a guy gets beat that cleanly and, and you've got a guy like Tremont Waters going downhill so quickly, uh, it's a pretty tough situation for um, for a big like Kavarius Hayes to, uh, to time when to step up and to try to get there in time. And um, this is actually very, very similar to a conversation we had against Mississippi State. Well, the whole play remember, was pretty, um, yeah, the whole play was pretty similar. I just thought Kavarius was was I thought Kavari's contest last night was late. Yes. I, and I do think um, it, it, it was definitely a step late, but I, like I would say to kind of like summarize my thoughts, I, I, I do think the first person at fault is, is definitely Nemhart, And I put the most blame on him and I shouldn't, I, I still feel bad saying I put the most blame on him because it's a tough play against one of the best, you know, one of the best guards in the open floor in the country in Tremont Waters. But, uh, but I, I would say he was probably most to blame just for, um, for not being able to stop the ball. Um, then after that, I, w- I would blame Hayes. And then I, I don't particularly blame Allen, though I can, I can see where, uh, where that comes from. And, think, and, that, and again, going back, backtracking to Allen, I, I suppose that is a little bit of a team philosophy and um, whether you're into helping one pass away or not. I, I, I personally am, am not into that. And I, Florida doesn't do that a lot, but um, that would be my, my kind of order of blame. Uh, where would yours? Yeah. Be? I mean, I, again, I thought I just, I, I would say Hayes first and then Allen second, because it was ball side. Um, I mean, we coach our kids to help ball side. I understand it's Javante smart, but you got to get in front of a point guard like that. That's trying to make a play like that late in the game. And if it, it should have been pretty, I just felt like by the time Allen could have helped, it was clear Nimhard wasn't going to be able to do the job is the other thing. So, you know, if, if you Javante start smart was, what was he from outside? Three of seven. So he was shooting a pretty good percentage. Yeah. I mean, maybe you're right. It's a tough call. Um, well, well, it's such a tough call. I was going to say, just, uh, it's, it's a little bit different too. It's it, it, again, it kind of, it just depends how you play man defense. If you're a pack line man defense team, you, uh, you like to see that help, uh, that help early one pass away from, um, from Kayvon Allen. If you're not, um, you're, you're more of a, uh, kind of prototypical kind of deny man team, then you don't yeah. want Allen helping yeah. out and you, you kind of trust the help to come from the weak side. So, so again, um, it's, it's up to what this team kind of plays like and, and, uh, they kind of do a little bit of both. Um, but I was curious as you were mentioning that Neil, as if, uh, if your high school team, <laughs> if you guys uh, play pack line, because uh, what you're talking about is a little bit of those pack line principles. Yeah. And, I mean, as close to it as close to it as you can do, I guess at our level of. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I was going to say, it certainly sounds like it was the ball side, uh, the ball side help from one pass away. But um, once again, I, I do, it's what I just kind of think like, say, um, if Nemhart stops the ball, obviously the, the play's dead. If he gets, uh, if Tremont Waters gets a step on him and Kavarius Hayes steps up, um, it's a pass to a guy who's hopefully then covered by by Jalen Hudson and and you know hopefully he contests a shot there on the inside. And I would also say, um, hopefully, I would take a somewhat contested shot on the inside um, versus what could have been uh, 
you know, an open three from, from smart that would potentially yeah. win the game. Um, regardless of, regardless of the fact that, you know, he definitely was shooting the ball well, but um, last night, but you, you know, any guard in that position, if it's, you know, if it's an open three with uh, t- to win um, that stuff, but yeah. I'm kind of glad we, uh, we had two different views of that play that made, that's kind of interesting. I think we showed both the potential uh, defensive options that obviously both. Right. And Jalen Hudson was underneath there too. And we haven't really talked about that, but um, you know, I don't know. I mean, he, Hudson put his hands up. I'm not sure what else he's going to do in that quick reaction play. I guess the reason people were irritated is of course he went up and made a contest against Kentucky last year at Rupp arena, but that was such a different play because it came off an inbounds play. In the middle of a, in the yeah, middle of a, really in the middle of a scrum, place. like it's not, it's not really the same thing. <laughs> and the last thing you want to do is foul Trey yeah. Waters and put him on the line, in my opinion. No, that again, and that you definitely, yeah, you this this play still caused overtime. You still had another, you know, another chance to win. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it was it was definitely too bad, but. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that wasn't uh, all Florida did wrong. Uh, do you want to talk about? Well, the, uh, let's do it. And let's let's. Uh, I mean, let's intersperse a listener question here because it's just about the play at the end of overtime, which was. Okay. Um, this listener question came from Jake Gungrich, and he says, "Will Florida ever stop the ball on a point guard going coast to coast in the closing seconds of a close game?" <laughs> <laughs> like I feel like we just answered this question. Um, I, you know what I'll say to this. And that's not going to make anybody happy. Uh, but I went back and looked. Cassius Winston got a basket like this at the end of a half against Florida, too. So it's really three. And the players are Cassius Winston, Tremont Waters, and Quindary Weatherspoon. <laughs> I mean, they're really good. But there's always better defense, right? Yeah, that's a great point that, um, that there was some great uh... – some great point guards to do it. But at the same time, I, I do think that the fact that Florida has given up these, uh, uh, these buckets and I, I that's a great question. Yeah. It, is. I mean, that, but, um, it does just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it just shows that um, Florida does not have a plus athlete at that position. And um, uh, that's, it's kind of the open floor where athleticism really kind of wins out in the game yeah. of basketball in the, in the half court game, when things slow, um, you can kind of make up for it, but in the open floor, I mean, a- athleticism is King and Florida is not, a very athletic team, quite frankly. And uh, like, you know, with Andrew Nemhard and Noah Locke being on the wrong side of some of these defensive possessions, um, those guys are just not plus athletes. So um, when it comes to these, uh, these fast place plays in the open floor, um, Florida is unfortunately not very suited to, uh, to handle things. And um, it's just, uh, just the pure speed and athleticism of these guards making these plays is just uh, totally broke things down, has made um, Kavaris Hayes, who's a great shot blocker, slow on a couple uh, rotations where you know that's what he does best uh, a shot blocker who moves his feet to make rotations but when uh just when you guys have, when you have guys that can uh, make plays in the open court with their athleticism uh it, it really changes the game yeah no i i mean i uh i think we agree on that let's talk about the end of overtime okay first we should probably talk about how you know obviously lsu's had a little bit of fortune this year as we've talked about on multiple podcasts um not just because they played close games on the road and played overtime games over and over again and only lost one of them, but also because, um, you know, this is sort of their second win where they've benefited from a bad call, right? I mean, Florida, pretty clear goaltend. Florida should have been up a, a bucket. 
Yeah, I, I actually, I don't know if I think that one was a. So you're, country. so you're okay. So you're, I'm gonna, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm gonna put you on the spot on that because you're, you're definitely yeah. in the minority. We had the Eric Haslam tweet, we had the Pat Forty tweet, and then we had the Rob Douster video. So there's a pretty decent hive of basketball writers that felt like it was eighty seven nine Florida. Yeah, I mean, I've got to see the, uh, I've got to see the, uh, the Doster view because um, watching the broadcast for me, there was, uh, there wasn't much that um, that really thought it was uh, like I thought it was a clean block, like, uh, but there, I, I've got to say there must have been a, must have been some angle that that made it look different for how people were, uh, um, uh, were kind of saying that it was so clearly a goaltend. <laughs> I would say that, um, you know, it was it was definitely a tough play because when when especially. Uh, you know, there's those, those kind of goaltends where it's like a floater from like the free throw line where it just gives you a lot of time and a, to the balls in the air for so long that you can really tell when it's on its way down. And I, I just, I, I, you know, this one was a lot quicker. So, um, yeah, that was, uh, I, I didn't quite think it was a goaltend, but uh, I'm, I'm going to go try to find. This is beautiful. There's so much divergence on this, uh, on this pod so far. This is yeah. excellent. So let's just start with a question that we kind of threw around last night after the game. I mean, would you – what about the decision to call timeout? And really, does the problem start before that when the assistants and White are urging Nimhard to move and he kind of lollygags up the court? Yeah, so this is – I mean, I'm interested to see what you think about this, but um, regardless of whether you're on the side of play it out or call a timeout, um, Nemhart's got to push the basketball. It doesn't matter what side of the call a timeout or go try to score side that you're on. Um, you've got to push the basketball because even if you're looking for a timeout, Nemhart's got to get up the floor and get past half so you can get get that timeout called and get more time on the clock. Um, if he pushes the ball and we, they get a timeout, that's another second on the clock. So um, my kind of thought is um, I, I kind of like playing it out. I kind of like not giving uh, the other team a chance to uh, to set their defense, um, especially given the fact that uh, – uh, you know, you, you see the way that at the end of regulation, how Will Wade switched to a one three one one and though Florida was able to uh, work out of it and get a good shot and obviously hit one, um, they, there's things like that that can happen when um, teams are allowed to call or when there's a timeout, they can change personnel to something you're not expecting. They can obviously change from a zone to a man or, or vice versa. And um, even they, they actually even did that a little bit. They went to it this three, two zone, which I don't think people really realize as much in real time that, that actually kind of messed up Florida on yeah. the last play. Um, but uh, because, and yeah, because they were able to call um, because, you know, because there was a timeout and Will Wade was able to set something up. I, I think a lot of people look at the fact that, Oh, you know, Jalen Hudson slipped and, Kayvon Allen didn't put a shot up and said like, Oh, look, look at Florida screwing themselves over. But uh, what caused that was the fact that LSU came out in a three, two zone and, and really kind of messed up the play for Florida. So um, yeah, I, I, I kind of at the side, you, you try to score first, but um, there's kind of, you can also just go push the ball, see if there's something there. If not, then call a timeout. But what you just can't do is walk the ball up the floor. Like them. Yeah. So uh, the, the divergence is over for a little while, people. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so the first thing was white and Nichols are both out of their chair doing the arm rotating thing. <laughs> go, go, go. And he doesn't go. So I think there's two things for me. And, and I guess maybe this is a small area of disagreement is that maybe if Nimhart does push, I think you call a timeout, but I actually think it was a mistake to, to call a timeout there. The other reason I think it's a mistake. Eric identified the first one is that LSU switching to a zone 
troubled the first pass on the last play of regulation. And Florida got that started with, what was it, 20 seconds. So here they had eight seconds. So the chance that 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 happens is bad. And also they got to make sure that Skyler Mays found Jalen Hudson, which is a lot harder to do in the flow of a game. You want your best on-ball defender, which I talked about Skyler Mays as their best defender on the last podcast. That remains true. Um, and he did a really nice job of just preventing Jalen Hudson to getting getting to the favored side, right? Um, so I think some of Hudson's slipping was Mays' defense, which is like my, my small hot take. Um, right. And, okay. and so uh, just because – Mays knew that that's the side he favored and that's the hip that he was on and Hudson kind of couldn't get by him and then slipped trying to get the other way. Uh, all that said, um, the last thing is, and, and, and Eric kind of already mentioned this, but if you're going, you, you've had so much success with Jalen Hudson in isolation the whole game, it just seems like running normal offense accomplishes that task. You know, this isn't last year where you need yeah. to make sure it's not last year versus Texas Tech where you want to make sure Chris Chioza is initiating a play. Yeah, and it, this kind of goes back to something that um, uh, that I did a, I, when I wrote an article earlier this year about, like, should Florida be trying to look to get more points in transition? Uh, it was just kind of something that I looked at that was like how the fact that Florida is not a good transition offense team and was still averaging more points per possession on transition opportunities than in the half court. And that kind of opened my eyes. And I looked at a lot of other teams um, transition versus half court numbers and just saw that um, just saw that, you know, like if you can get a good look in transition, it's probably gives you a better chance to score than a good look in the half court, like a decent shot in transition is better than a decent shot in the half court, which is just what all the numbers that I looked at kind of, uh, kind of showed so that kind of in a situation like that at the end of game with you know eight seconds on the clock uh trying to get a, a half decent look in transition by pushing the ball is probably a better look than you call a timeout and allow the defense to get set up so for that reason yeah i kind of wish that, that florida pushed it but at the same time i i i think that andrew nemhart kind of forced <laughs> forced coach white's hand um and, and i'll just say one other thing that um that I think I, the way that I kind of saw the play that I think they were trying to do. And if anyone uh, wants to watch this game again, uh, part of the reason I, I kind of inferred what I thought was going on was um, uh, looking at, um, was looking at uh, Andrew Nemhart, who was sitting in the uh, the corner of by the bench at the, <laughs> and was waving his hands and was freaking out at Jalen Hudson slipping and not running the play. But what I think was supposed to happen was the ball went into uh, went into um, Jalen Hudson, and he was supposed to throw it to Keontae Johnson on the wing, who was going to get a ball screen from Hayes, a middle ball screen, which looked a whole lot like the way that uh, that Keontae Johnson got a really key bucket at the end of the game um, against LSU the first time that Florida played them. And um, anyways, obviously, I, I, the play broke down when uh, when the defense wasn't set totally properly, and it wasn't it wasn't. Uh, Tremont Waters guarding Nemhart or guarding uh, guarding the well, top, right, and guarding, the zone the zone disrupted the ball screen action. Right, and and that's why I just the, the, I, I to be honest, why I say that is largely in the defense of Mike White, who I know a lot of people are like, what like Mike White, what are you doing? What kind of play call is that? Do, do I think that the like was it a great play given the fact that. Um, you know, I don't think they were ready for the zone because that's, and that's what happens when you, when you call it 
timeout is the is LSU could have came out in the one three one they could have come out man they could have come out in something different and that's what they did so uh, Mike White drew something out that was a ball screen for Keontae Johnson at least in my mind um, I could be wrong but um, I would uh, I would yeah if anyone wants to look at the play and, and kind of see how uh, that could happen I think it'll be interesting to, for them and uh, but uh, I, I just I do say that a little bit just to say that I think a lot of people thought that the play was let's call a timeout let's let Jalen Hudson isolate and see what happens. And really, I think it was they did not want to call a timeout. Andrew Nemhart forced their hand. Um, once the time, once they drew up a play, um, Jalen Hudson was not ready to react to it and slipped and fell. Yeah, no, uh, I think I think that I think Eric's analysis is really good here, guys. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna move on from it. Um, yeah, I mean, other than to say. I guess I have slightly less. I mean, so if, if the default was Jalen Hudson in isolation with eight seconds to go, which I, again, I I'm with Eric. I don't really think that was necessarily what they wanted to do, but they come out in zone and that's end up what they ends up being what they run. Like, okay, that makes sense. I just think it would have flowed better, not out of a timeout. So I think we're, we're kind of, we're, we're basically in lockstep agreement here. We do need to talk about cave on Allen because that's what's interesting to me is that for everything that goes wrong, um, <laughs> Kevin Allen has a wide open jump shot with two seconds to go in the corner. Cause LSU did not close out hard. Like if, if I were their coaches, I would have been furious and probably still would be kind of mad on film, even though we won. It's one of those, Hey, you're really lucky moments. If you're coaching the Louisiana state. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing about these broken plays. It seems like, when there's a broken play in basketball, it benefits the uh, benefits sometimes the offense. <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes, lots of times. Actually, okay, we were talking about Rick Bird and how awesome he is at Belmont. I would, uh, I would say, anyone who wants to see something amazing, um, go look at, um, uh, go look at. Someone found out and and put this on Twitter. I forget it was. Uh, uh, I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna figure <laughs> it out. But anyways, um, this this play that they've ran like three times this year. Um, where they uh, they like pretend that the play is entirely broken and things are scrambling and everyone's and someone picks up his dribble like the play is broken and then they get a back screen or or sorry they get a back cut for a layup and they've done it like three times and I think it's the greatest thing in basketball <laughs> they like lure the defense into thinking that it's a broken play and then they get this back backdoor cut and anyways it's gorgeous um, but anyways yeah like you said the there was a there was an opportunity for for Kevon Allen to shoot a jump shot. Um, he unfortunately didn't take it. The baseline jumper that he's made that he's made a lot in his career from that spot, by the way, like a lot. Absolutely, <laughs> that's probably his favorite spot on the floor. And oh, and then I mean, I should we should also point out that he very clearly stepped out of bounds, and the ref who was yeah, how did Doug right miss that? I uh, didn't call it. Yeah, I've, I've no how did he, he miss the goaltend and that? Um, yeah, <laughs> can you imagine? Can you actually imagine though, Florida? Like if Kevon Allen hits a shot there, like that, like that's LSU fans would be losing their minds. But anyways, um, yeah, it's okay. Here's the thing about Kevon Allen. Obviously, that was unfortunate that he did not know the clock situation. Um, it's very unfortunate that it's it just yeah, it just didn't seem like he was kind of locked in and ready to get the basketball. And perhaps that is because he knew that the play wasn't being ran for him. Um, but it was just it was on a night where he just looked completely disengaged on both kind of both sides of the floor. Um, especially offensively. And then obviously on the last possession of the game, doesn't look like he's into it enough mentally to know the clock situation. And again, in a broken play scenario like that, it's a little tougher to know the exact time on the clock. 
But I mean, by the way, he took the ball. It seems like he thought there was five seconds left. It, it, like it seemed like he thought the play started with 20 seconds on the clock, not seven point, whatever. So um, the fact that he had such a rough game where he didn't look focused, um, making an unfocused play in overtime, just, it kind of just made it that yeah, much Yeah, he hit his first jump shot. And then uh, it was basically Jalen Hudson versus Tennessee. <laughs> he scores mm-hmm. Florida's per- first points, just like Jalen Hudson did against Tennessee. And then isn't heard from again, except for two free throws. Um, so he has four points. He goes one for six on senior night. And, and I, I, you know, I want to add this before we get out of here on this, because yeah, I, I don't understand how I, I just don't, I, you know, maybe, maybe in, in the light was beneficial to, to cave He just knew the play wasn't for him and he's out there to space the floor, but it's also senior night and you're playing for your NCAA tournament life. Maybe. I mean, you got to get a shot off. You just have to. And you have to know how much time is left, even if the play isn't for you. So, you know, for him to say after the game, oh, I thought I had more time than I did, it's just kind of like a damning concession to his lack of focus, in my opinion. Because there's there's eight seconds totally. left and you're a senior and it's your last home game. Like, you got to know how much time is left. Um, And... So, so that's, you know, it's crushing. It's crushing to see that happen to a player who I think, um, you know, we've been hard on him on this show. And I guess some of that is just that he was so uh, dynamic as a freshman and sophomore at times. And because his defense did improve every year. And so he's a player, I think that, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, it's so hard. He might be one of the most confounding players that's ever played at Florida. He certainly has been in the time I've been watching. And, um, you know, I've only been covering Florida basketball for, for two seasons now. So um, I'll say watching ba- watching Florida basketball, but that's certainly the case. And um, there's something to be said about the fact that it is just because he, he, he has shown flashes and, and has kind of shown that potential because, you know, no one gets – no one goes – you know, like you said, we've been tough on him. I've honestly been a lot tougher on him than you have. <laughs> I think you've been a lot more gracious uh, than I have, truthfully. And, uh, you know, there's a reason that, you know, I'm, I'm probably a lot harder on him than I am, am on Okaru, just because, you know, you, you see those flashes with, with, uh, with Kayvon Allen. But, um, yeah, it, it, was, it was just a very interesting night where we saw, with all the seniors, it seems like we saw both sides of them. Um, with Kayvon Allen, we saw him open the game by hitting a really tough jump shot, like you mentioned, and then go totally cold. But but play um, 40 minutes because presumably because his defense on Skylar Mays was pretty good. Totally. And with with Jalen Hudson, he had some, he had some monster shots. He also took some awful heat checks that were air balls, also blew some assignments defensively and had some bad turnovers. We saw both sides of Jalen Hudson. And then uh, Kavarius Hayes um, puts on a defensive clinic in a lot of ways, has 15 rebounds, and also misses a lot of the layups that he is kind of uh, that a lot of people like to point out that he's had some trouble missing layups. So it was just a really, really, really interesting senior night. And I can't think of a senior night ever like this where I really feel like if someone had never watched Florida basketball before and then watched that game, they could probably they, they kind of saw the best and the worst of, of all the seniors. And I thought that was uh, just so I'm going to give this and I'll do this quick because we've got to move on to some listener questions. Um, but I'm going to give the like 90 second pitch for in the summer when all the sports are over. You know, they have the SEC story videos on SEC Network that they'll just run. 
And one of the games that they show quite a bit because Kentucky won is a Kentucky-Florida senior night game in Gainesville, um, which Kentucky wins by one point. There's a player at Florida named Christian Dreyer who was this European player. from He was from Denmark, and Donovan raved about him because this was young Billy Donovan then. So like Donovan was like, believe it or not, young Billy Donovan would rave about guys he signed. <laughs> He'd be like, like Will Wade does. Like just, oh my gosh, this guy's talent is through the roof. And, you know, Billy would never have done that the second half of his career mm-hmm. in Florida. But but as a young coach, mm-hmm. these things that happened. And um, I said I would take 90 seconds, so let me move on. So Dreyer doesn't pan out at all, right? Uh, he's just a disaster in the locker room. And he the, the following season after this particular game, he would quit the team in the middle of the year. <laughs> like he just didn't show up to practice. <laughs> he ghosted <laughs> Florida before ghosting was a term. <laughs> and Billy Don was like, I don't know what happened to him. I think he just quit. And that was like an actual quote. Um, now, I'm sure Chris Harry or someone would correct me and say, you know, it was a little more formal than that, but i have been told it wasn't. Um, so, whatever. Uh, he took a charge late in the game um, that there was a no call with uh, TV Ted Valentine, young TV Ted. But if you watch the game on SEC Story, it's a fantastic game. Matt Bonner is the senior in the game, and he's playing on with a broken bone in his foot. And he drops 20 points in like 36 minutes with a broken bone in his foot. Um, and it's just, it's just a heroic performance by Matt Bonner. Um, but he also gets just torched defensively by Tayshaun Prince a bunch of times. <laughs> and so uh, Brett Nelson gets a couple crucial steals, makes a couple great threes, but like disappears in the second half, can't score. Uh, gets beat defensively. So the, the long and short end of this this tale, to other than encourage people to watch this game, is Eric is spot on that this was a senior night where we saw the best and worst of seniors, and it also ended in a heartbreaking loss, and it's just like that game, which happened when I was a very <laughs> a much younger man, but as one of my like first real vivid Florida basketball memories was wanting to win that game so badly because it, it was for the SEC championship. Mm-hmm. And and Florida lost, um, and it was just you know, a bit, but if you get to watch it, it's spectacular. Uh, Dick Vitale's on the call. I mean, it's everything you'd want in an hour and a half of your time in the summer. If you're well, it's funny. If you're a hoops you, junkie. Well, oh, that's just funny. After I mentioned that, I've never seen anything like it. I love you uh, bringing up that it's only happened before, and that is uh, that's what's uh, great about college basketball is, is stories like that and. And uh, thing, things like a senior night. There's no senior nights in the NBA. So things like that are, are special even when, or I should say, they're memorable um, even in losses. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I think Matt Bonner, who, you know, went on to win a lot, um, would <laughs> pretty much everywhere he went, he won. And I mean, I think he'd tell you that that, that was a special day, even though, even though Florida lost. Um, you know, and I know Brett Nelson, friend of the program, um, and assistant coach at Marquette says uh, that, that, you know, that game still haunts him almost as much as losing the national title game, which tells you something. Uh, I think this one will haunt Florida. I did want to shout out Calvarius Hayes before we get to listener questions. Eric already talked about the 15 rebounds. He had three blocks. He had three turnovers. Those all came in the first four minutes of the game. After that, 
Um, Mike White did a really nice job, I thought, of sitting him down for a couple minutes and putting Bassett in. I think he calmed Hayes down because I think Hayes was just so emotionally riled up that he tried to do too much in that first segment. Um, And after that, he was really brilliant, except for the fact that, you know, he had been shooting at such a high percentage in the last month, right? And goes two of seven from the floor and four of eight from the foul line. Um, I'm going to give him a pass on two of those free throws because it was a play that Eric actually tweeted something about undercutting. And and I think there was one where Hayes had a dunk. He was unabated to the basket, and he got undercut by Darius Days. And um, I think that's an intentional foul or should be. Uh, you know, obviously it's not called that. I think it's worse than the hook and hold. And I would imagine that landing on his hip bone the way he did after the play is probably why he missed those free throws or at least contributed because he was in a lot of pain, I think. Yeah. Okay. So the hook and hold, um, you, in, you know, in one NCAA tournament game, um, someone gets hurt. Uh, my head. Uh, who is that? Oh my goodness. That big man. It's uh, at Purdue that I'm blanking on right now. Cause I'm out of my anger. Anyways, he gets injured. He's, Matt Hummels. Uh, ends his NCAA Robbie tournament. Hummels. Yes. Yeah. So anyways, but he, he so he, he gets hurt and it gets, um, not who I was talking, not who I was thinking about, but because um, this because the rule came after, um, you know, after after this NCAA tournament last year with um, with Isaac Hawes. Oh, okay. Because he he got because yeah because Isaac Hawes got hooked and hold and it um, popped out his shoulder and his NCAA tournament was over. So it, it was one of those things where it was like it just kind of happened when everyone's eyes were on the game. So I think it made it a lot worse. But like, how many people have gotten injured by hook and hold plays? Um, very few. Um, how many people have gotten concussed or um, get major lower body injuries by getting undercut? A lot. So, um, yeah, I just – I think that that is the, one of the – perhaps the most dangerous play in, in basketball, truthfully, um, is a, a guy in transition going up for a layup and getting undercut or the situation that Hayes was in getting undercut. Like, I, to me, that's the most dangerous. Well, and there are I, there I are stiffer penalties in the NBA for unabated to the basket, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I do give him a pass on that because I mean, those are skin, like those are like those kind of plays too. Even if you play pickup and something like that happens to you, like you know, it's happened to me. It just like like it, it scares. It gives you a good scare. Like it give it, it. You you realize in that moment that like wow, that could have been terrible. And now it's like okay, go shoot two free throws. So yeah, I definitely give him a pass for those free throws. And I thought that was poorly officiated. Yeah, uh, it was bad. I I was stunned that. One thing I noticed about LSU uh, is that they argue a lot of calls, and I think they get that from their head coach. But because um, I always feel like when we as coaches argue more, uh, our players like suddenly get like attitudes. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything to that at all, like psychologically. But I, I don't know. I don't know. Example like herd behavior. I totally, I totally agree. I think that players definitely take on the. Uh take on the personality of their head coach. I mean, you kind of see it too. I think in the NBA people take on the personality of their best players and uh, yeah, in college basketball, high school basketball, uh, they take on the personality of the coach. So seeing uh, Will Wade lose his mind for, for two hours on the sideline during a game. I mean, that's uh, it, it makes sense that the players who were recruited by him and <laughs> um, everything are going to be the, the same. So way. let's go ahead and, and fire away at um, listener questions. We'll start with Jordan press. Uh, any clue as to who Florida would be looking at as a grad transfer for the four or the five next season? Um, 
Let me start on this with the normal caveat that Eric and I really are going to do a show on the roster, probably more than one. <laughs> and I think Eric is going to write an epic article at Gator Country on this question itself. Um, so I think the dream is probably Kerry Blackshear from Virginia Tech, but I think a lot of that kind of depends on what happens with their head coach. Um, cause I can't see a scenario where he'd like bail on a top 15 team. Uh, even if they're a little, not, not quite as good next year. Right. Um, to transfer, even though Blackshear's from Florida originally. And I mean, there's some things about that that I guess makes sense. Uh, I do think Florida will look on the market though. Um, and uh, you know, I'm interested in anybody that off the top of your head, Eric, yeah, there's, there's, no, like I said, like I, I've been slowly compiling this, and, and for, for like you said, epic article. To be honest, I just have stopped on multiple occasions because it's really tough to see who's, who's eligible. And you definitely mentioned the guy who is the, uh, who is the, um, the dream, the, the number one priority. The dream is the dream would be Kerry Blackshear, and um, I, the, why would he leave? You know, it's, it's tough, but at the same time, like that team's going to be pretty depleted. They don't have a great recruiting class. And uh, Mikhail Alexander-Walker is going to the NBA. Uh, Justin Robinson, he's he's graduating, also probably going to the NBA. Um, Ahmad Hill, another key player, is uh, he's he's graduating. And um, so they've got this, like, young team right now. Um, they, they've got a really weird team where, like, there's a lot of, like, young guys, and then there's the upperclassmen. And so they're losing a bunch. The guys that he kind of committed to play with are, are moving on to graduation. And um, I could just see where if he just thinks – Hey, I just want to go to a better basketball situation. And, you know, if Andrew Nampart sticks around and he sees Scotty Lewis coming into town, maybe he just sees that's a better opportunity and he decides to, um, <clears throat> and he decides he wants to go to somewhere like Florida. Um, let's also remember that Virginia tech from an academic standpoint, um, doesn't offer as many things as to a grad uh, to a graduate uh, individual like, uh, like Florida would. So, um, I mean, it's there. Um, I also have to say something that's, um, that's really interesting because you and me have both said this name on this podcast before. Um, so I watched a, uh, I watched a junior college game the other day. Um, cause you know, that's kind of basketball person I am between, <laughs> um, Odessa where Devon Kerrigan plays. He was a very common, uh, you know, that's a player that a lot of people have talked about as a Juco option for coming to Florida. Yeah. Um, and he was, yeah, he was playing South Plains, which is another really good team. Um, there's a player named Jonah Antonio there who I really, really like. Florida offered him um, last year – or, sorry, this this past offseason. Um, he played at Mount St. Mary's last year. Um, really good defender, shooter. Um, I'm kind of – something to monitor. I really like the kid. So, uh, But anyways, Devon Kerrigan, guy that everyone really wants to see. Um, first, I mean, he didn't – like, so he came off the bench, and he wasn't even the first guy off the bench for them. Um, he was, like, the third guy off the bench. He didn't play a lot of minutes. Um, he blocked a couple shots, which is kind of what he's known for. But like, he was a lot more raw than I thought. And uh, I, I looked at, um, I look, you know, just if you just look at his raw numbers, kind of looking back at uh, at his season. I mean, he's never started, doesn't play a lot of minutes, and doesn't do anything other than shot blocking. And watching how raw he is um, for a guy who's going to be, you know, immediately eligible to whatever team he chooses. Matt, he, I don't know, like he looked pretty raw and it really kind of changed the way I looked at it. And then I even, um, there's a couple even Juco players that I, that I know that have played, that play in the same league. And I, I kind of messaged them and was like, Hey, so what do you, what do you think about this guy? And I won't say names on uh, <laughs> There was a lot of guys that were like, why are you asking about him? Like they truly were like, 
just like like why like they didn't know that he was a big name like they just didn't they just were kind of curious they were like like I don't know he played like twelve minutes against us and had zero points and three <laughs> rebounds so um, anyways point being my opinion about uh, about Demont Kerrigan has has changed a little bit and uh, since since uh, this last week when I um, watched him play and had these opinions so uh, yeah I'm just interested if you have any. Uh, any kind of knowledge of him or, or anything Well, like so the that. guy I was going to mention is I, I just don't think Florida's going to go that direction. Um, and I'm with you. I think he's, mm-hmm. I think he struggled a little bit this year. Um, and, and my, I have no, not, I don't have the in-depth knowledge that Eric does. I'm just looking at him on a blank sheet of statistical paper. Right. Uh, the guy I think Florida should, should really gun for is Scotty James from Liberty. Uh, six, seven, 228 people are gonna be like six seven that's not big enough he plays a lot bigger all right watch the atlantic sun final that they just qualified for by beating north florida tonight because scotty james went off by the way uh and that's a team that matt driscoll's team is a team that they had had trouble with this season uh not tonight because they got 24 points and nine rebounds from scotty james who did not turn the ball over and also had three assists. Um, he's a good interior passer. He's got a beautiful little drop step. He's good from 15 feet or so. Uh, if you leave him open, he'll shoot a three. He doesn't make many of them. Um, shoots about 70% from the foul line and leads Liberty, which is an NCAA tournament team, I think, uh, in points and rebounds. Um, Florida has better grad programs. Uh, Florida, he's oh, and Scotty James is from Tampa. So, yeah, so that would be my, that would be my like guy that I think you should go for. And I also think he's better than some of your other options. Like Cleetrell Pope leads the nation in rebounding, plays at Bethune Cookman, but like that's a far drop off from the Atlantic Sun. It just is. Yeah, I think Scotty's. Uh, could we have two Scotties on the same team next year? In Flo- two Scotties in Florida next year. That would be a, that'd be something. But I think, like you said, like, um, I, I, I like you watch him play. I think he does play bigger. Like I'm a, like, I don't know what he's listed at, but um, you just see the way he finishes inside. And I mean, that's uh, that's a player who's uh, who's pretty good. And I think you also just see the fact that. Um, you know that, like you said, like Liberty's a team that's probably an at-large candidate. They could very well, yeah, they could very well be an at-large team. And uh, you look at that and the fact that, um, yeah, that probably shows a guy who is, um, yeah, to lead a team like that. Like that's pretty impressive. And then you also just look at the way that they played Alabama. He had twenty and eight Ooh, against Alabama. That's good. Um, against George, against Georgetown, he had eighteen points. Um, against Vanderbilt, he had twelve points and six rebounds. I mean, so there's a guy that's. Um, uh, that has kind of competed at a pretty good level against some uh, some high. Oh, and he transferred well, to Liberty that... from Bradley, I think. Okay, he did, so yes. he's not like afraid to move. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's and that kind of that can matter sometimes. But I texted a player at Florida Gulf Coast uh, about him because they'd seen him up close and personal, and you know their comment was in our league almost indefensible was the response I got. Yeah, that, no, that's a really good. Point. <laughs> like, this is this is the way that grad transfers work too. Is like, like I didn't know that he was, you know, eligible to be a grad transfer, but uh, then you find out that he is, and you're like, oh yeah, I want that guy. So yeah, no, that's a that would be one to watch, and and really like, like you mentioned his size, even it's not like Florida needs another. 
they don't need someone who's six foot eleven and can block shots. It'd be great to have a guy like that who you can throw the ball into and can and can just finish, uh, take a take a dribble or two and lay it in on with the with the yeah runner, and six just something like that right would, uh, which just really changed and things. he's six seven two thirty so I mean he can rebound he leads the team in rebounding at Liberty so you know that's I because I, I, Eric and I have talked about this that like rebounding is such a huge part of basketball and that that like gets talked about less than it probably should. And so if you're taking a guy who's a little undersized for a post, you know, you're going to get the groans. Oh, he's not really a four. Well, if he rebounds like one, it doesn't matter as much. Well, and, and this is, I will preface this by saying this is not an adjusted number. So this is just like by, by the raw number that doesn't account for the, the conference he plays in, but he is seventh in the country in offensive rebounding percentage <laughs> and 22nd in the country in defensive rebounding percentage. Yeah. And like, Yes, those are not adjusted numbers, so that you know that um, that is probably inflated by the league he plays in. But again, like I said, I mean he had he he kind of rebounded the ball against Alabama, like he had twenty eight against Alabama. But yeah, you look, he's seventy percent from two point range. Um, he's uh, which is you know obviously awesome. He's tenth in the country in effective field goal percentage, twelfth uh, in true shooting. So yeah, that's someone I'm certainly gonna keep an eye out for. Right, I mean, there's and you know maybe he stays at Liberty and likes it there and. And whatever, um, there's a lot that goes into that. We're not going to get into on this podcast at that particular school, but uh, <laughs> and, you know, I don't know. That would be that would be my answer to to Jordan's question for now, and we'll get into that more. I promise. Um, let's see, next one. Good lord. Uh. Let's go Gator boss wants to know <laughs> how good will Florida be next season? <laughs> okay. I mean, I would say that that, that depends a little bit on how they, uh, how they, uh, how they do decide to fill the, uh, the open, yeah. um, we'll say the open scholarship they have right now. Um, and it also depends a lot of it, a lot um, if Andrew Nemar comes back, but um, you know what? Like I, I see a team like this and obviously on the bubble right now, but if, if you flip one or two decisions this year, like say you take one of the bat, say you take like uh, one or two of the, the like Butler loss and the, or the Oklahoma loss, South Carolina loss, Georgia loss, um, you flip two of those to, to wins and you just take one of the kind of the Michigan state or, um, or LSU or the Kentucky game, they led by double digits in the second half. If you give them one of those wins, um, Florida's probably like a six or a seven right. seed right now. They're probably in the same boat as they are last right. year, uh, and, and that makes them, uh, you know, they, and that means you you're probably likely to win a game, and you are a um, you're a round of thirty two team, and that's how I kind of see Florida this year. Even though I know that they're at seed and that as a bubble team, I I probably shouldn't say, oh yeah, I see them as a round of thirty two team, but we'll say roughly that. Um, I, I, when you look at Scotty Lewis and, and Trey Mann coming in and hopefully a healthy uh, Gordrock Yak who's able to, to get, to give minutes and, um, you know, Dante Bassett, who's gotten better every single year so far. Um, you know what? I, I do think that they're good enough to win. If I see this team as kind of roughly around a 32 team, um, I, I see the team getting a lot better next year. And that means I think they're going to at least win another round. So um, I see them as a, as a sweet 16 team and possibly better. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we talked about they need to address – they need to add a big. They really do. Um, and, and I've I kind of mentioned this in a tweet uh, earlier today that I just said, you know, if it's Scotty James, amazing. 
I don't think it has to be, you know, an elite big necessarily. Uh, but they do need to, even like a few a few years ago they had John Horford, and you know John could score a little bit, and that team wasn't very good, but uh, it was a guy that could kind of consume minutes and make life easier on young players. And, you know, that's what they're going to be looking for. Somebody that just kind of compliments Omar Payne and doesn't put too much stress on him. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, I think you have to kind of profile it that way and anything else above that as a bonus, but I would agree with that. I, you know, look, it's a team. Mike is going to be under some fire if they miss the NCAA tournament. He just is. So they're going to need to win 20 to 25 games. I think they'll have a roster that's capable of doing that and capable of, competing for an sec championship. And in that sense, I think they'll uh, also have one that, that has done it the right way, which leads to our next listener question, uh, which was how I was going to work in a, a Will Wade thing. Um, was it more painful last night knowing that there's an investigation circulating as to LSU? And that's from uh, John. You know what? In the moment, honestly, no. Uh, that's my answer too. Uh, like my, yeah, that's like it, it kind of is what it is in, in basketball, um, college basketball right now, and, and that does suck. But I mean, in the moment, I like, you know, I just ranted for like twenty minutes with with Neil about how uh, about how we thought Florida blew a couple you know chances to win the game at the end of regulation overtime. Like <laughs> that's the stuff that really kills me right now. Um, I'm not really thinking about the fact that Javante Smart was just named a bunch in. Will Wade's kind of, um, uh, you, you know what I really do wish? I, I do wish that it came out yesterday as opposed to today for the sheer fact that the Rowdies would have had a field day. Like they, it could have been. The and maybe it distracts LSU. Rowdy distracts LSU. Yeah, totally. But, but in the moment I would say, I would say no. What about, oh, I guess you answered too. You said, uh, you said no, it, it probably didn't make it worse. For yeah, me. not really for me. I mean, look, I think well, there's conflicting reports right now. I mean, Apparently, LSU's athletic director, Joe Oliva, who I've already described as a prince of a human, um, is is going to uh, ride it out like you wouldn't let Florida fans ride out a hurricane with Will Wade. And, um, you know, okay. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm a big believer that – <laughs> I'm a big believer that you reap what you sow. So, we'll see what happens. Okay, well, well here – this is the thing that just like, okay, I honestly, and this, this, this does pay me and people might be mad at this, but I, I really think that Will Wade from a basketball standpoint is a really good coach. And I don't like that. I think he's he a is a really coach, good coach. I don't, Cause you know, here are the facts. Take, even if you take away the fact that um, you, you take away the fact that uh, obviously he was just named, you know, looking to pay a bunch of players. I uh, look at the roster and look at Emmett Williams, who, um, was convicted of some horrible things and uh, the courts um, it was kind of made public. Some of the text messages he was sending some friends that certainly made it look like he was admitting doing some very horrible things to a girl. Um, you see Cavell Bigby Williams also on the roster um, under investigation for rape. And where does he go um, from Oregon to uh, no one else wants him. Will Wade says, come on down. So there's things like that that just make it very like I, I it would be pretty tough for me to be an LSU fan right now. Um, but you know, you're talking, you're talking about the athletic director riding it out. I mean, you look at the players he already had on the roster with stuff that had been out in the open, not even this thing about paying players and it's terrible. Stuff. Yeah. And they were fine having those things on their roster. So 
Um, it, it doesn't surprise me that they're ready to ride it out now. Um, I also look at the fact that they don't have a very good recruiting class next year. Currently, they have a JUCO transfer who is a pretty sought-after JUCO. Um, they also have, um, uh, I, I think it's a three-star kid, but a, I think it was like a high three-star. Um, I might be making up. I better look that up. But I don't think they have a great recruiting class next year, and they're about to lose a bunch of guys to the NBA draft. Um, so I don't really think that, you know, I, I, I kind of think that they're kind of content to like, hey, let's just try to go and see if we can win and get a Final Four this year, even if we're going to vacate it because we're going to lose a bunch of guys and not be very good next year anyway. So it's kind of ride it out and, and uh, see what they can do. So that's kind of my read. So on they're the ranked last in the SEC in, in recruiting after being fourth in the country a, a year Must ago. Must have used up all their budgets. Ooh, ooh. And, and not even <laughs> false. Charles Manning is the Juco guy. And they have a three-star combo guard named James Bishop, who is uh, coming in. I guess it turns out when the bag man is gone, it's a little harder to uh, to recruit to Louisiana <laughs> State, um, even though they would argue till you're blue in the face about their tradition versus Florida's. They'd be wrong, but they'd argue because um, Shaq, Shaq playing there obviously means you have a better tradition. Uh, and Pete Maravich, uh, two players alone, Trump national championships. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, I mean, look. Um, Jerry Tarkanian was a really good coach and UNLV was, you know, a, a, a wayward home for lost souls. Uh, none of whom, by the way, in fairness to those guys, those guys were just transfers who didn't work out places, um, and had like big egos and personalities. You know, you didn't have multiple guys accused of really serious crimes. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's definitely, there's a lot of that at LSU and, uh, but in the moment, no, I didn't really think about it. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of where it is. Uh, I didn't think about it, and now I'm mad. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> – I'm mad in retrospect. I think in retrospect, yeah. I mean, in retrospect, it's irritating. <laughs> and, you know, I usually pool for the SEC in the NCAA tournament. I don't know. That'll be hard. I mean, it'll be hard pooling for a team where there's a really high likelihood a lot of these wins are going to get vacated. Um, and not because of Big Williams or – Emmett Williams, but because of, you know, the impropriety surrounding Javante Smart and Nas Reed, right? So, uh, yeah. So the next question was Dominic Ravuto, and this is the best way to do a Rupp Arena scheduled loss, which was Florida did really well against Kentucky for 28 minutes, Dominic says. What does Florida have to do to play better in the next 12 and get their second straight win at Rupp Arena? Um, I'm going to say that they basically need Jalen Hudson to do what he did on senior night and hit a bunch of step-back three-pointers and stuff. And then they have to figure out a way to not let Tyler Hero go off in the second half like he did. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah, that that would do it, I I, I think. Just because it was really interesting. Against LSU, Florida gave up a lot of offensive rebounds. And I think a lot of people are looking to the two kind of game against Kentucky and said, like, hey. Oh, and Reed Travis is out. I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you. Right, and um, he played the uh, first game. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, and I think that people look at like, hey, Florida just gave up a lot of offensive rebounds to LSU. Let's, um, they're probably scared of offensive rebounds versus Kentucky. But the thing about LSU is, uh, and their offensive rebounds is, you know, obviously they've got a lot of size and athleticism, but I think honestly, a lot of their offensive rebounds were because Florida kind of wasn't playing great defensively allowed LSU to get them really running around. Like Florida was really scrambling defensively. And when shots came up, they weren't in a position to 
to defensive rebound. And uh, you know what? I don't think Kentucky's anywhere near as good offensively as LSU is. And I don't think they're going to get those kind of same great looks. And therefore, I think that Florida is going to be able to actually mostly keep them off the glass. And um, if they can keep them mostly off the glass, I think that, uh, yeah, I don't think that um, uh, I don't think that Kentucky's a great offensive team. And if Florida could be just not terrible offensively, as Florida was terrible offensively that in the second half that allowed them to lose that game against uh, against Kentucky. Um, I think they'll have a good chance, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, look, um, I think the Travis thing is a big deal. I actually heard, I don't know, one of the podcasts I listened to was saying that there were two games where they felt like they really needed Reed Travis to win. Um, one of them had been the Tennessee, not the Tennessee game, but the LSU game. They needed him body-wise to stay competitive. And they oddly, they said the other one was Florida because Florida kind of did a weird, good job of harassing. And now I know PJ Washington had a double double, but like, and it wasn't, you can't have a quiet double double, but it wasn't like Florida got beat by PJ Washington, right? They got beat by Tyler Hero. And late, they got beat by Reed Travis. And I think that was the point they were making. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's something that Florida can look forward to. The other thing that I think kind of matters is, I don't know where Florida will be mentally for this game after a heartbreaking loss at home on senior night. Um, hopefully, you know, they're on edge because it's a chance to, again, clinch an NCAA tournament berth. But at least the seniors at Florida, they've won there. That's huge, I think. Right. And, I mean, even at, uh, even at the uh, – um, whatever the uh, the official, like, Florida Games podcast is, I forgot what it's called. But anyways, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jen Hudson was on, and they asked him where his favorite, uh, favorite place to play on the road was. And uh, uh, he said, yeah, he said, uh, he said, we're up. And it was kind of like, oh, you kind of like how, um, you know, how bad, how the, like, you kind of like playing the villain or whatever. You like the, all the fans cheering against you. And he's just like, I don't know. I just kind of like how things look in there. I just kind of like playing there. And I feel like, uh, yeah, there's kind of been that, that kind of mindset for some of the Gators who, um, of the senior class that have had pretty good success against Kentucky uh, and, and have obviously won a up. So um, hopefully it's not, um, you know, it's not, uh, it's not something they are, they're too down on themselves after, uh, after this LSU game, obviously. Uh, yeah. We kind of have seen some, uh, some good performances followed up with some pretty bad performances. Um, obviously, you know, you see that, you see that Georgia loss after um, uh, you see that Georgia loss after they played a good game against Vanderbilt and you see um uh, you see some things like that. You just uh, you see the Kentucky loss after they played well against um, uh, Mississippi and had an emotional game in overtime. And yeah, you just uh, you're interested to see how they bounce back. Yeah, I mean, look, Florida, uh, Florida can't. You know, we've now reached the point of the season where starting Saturday, really, it started yesterday night because we're recording on Thursday night. But I mean, Florida cannot afford to have a game where they don't come with focus, edge, and intensity from here on out, whether it's. Rup, or whether it's the cool the first round game of the SEC tournament, and that's the next question. Is uh, it looks like Florida will be an eight seed in the SEC tournament? Uh, Peach Bowl champs Gatorade 08 ask, Would you rather Florida play Alabama or Arkansas? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, I, I think, um. You know what? I think I would say I think I would say Alabama because I think that if you look at kind of both teams, um, I would say that um, the 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 player that would scare me the most would be Daniel Gafford. Um, I think Isaiah Joe could really shoot the lights out. I think that kind of uh, that would scare me in a in a kind of neutral site one game scenario. So um, I I think I'd rather play I think I'd rather play 
Alabama, but at the same time, I've also got um, Trayvon Waters light. That is Kyra Lewis on my mind a little bit after, uh, after Trayvon Waters gave, uh, gave Florida trouble and, and that kind of wor- would maybe worry me a little bit, but you know, I, I think I would say, I think I would give the edge to, um, to yeah, I'd rather play. Alabama. So I was going to say Alabama too. And interestingly, Alabama has a better record over its last six games than Arkansas. Um, you know, Alabama's kind of gotten off the side a little bit and like Florida played a really good game at home against LSU, but came up short. Um, I just think it's a better matchup for Florida. And I know I'd say that, and I was like, well, Florida went to Fayetteville and won. Yeah. Uh, but remember that they, they blew a huge lead in that game and were fortunate to, to come out with a victory. And they also won on a night where Isaiah Joe was like, what? I mean, he made like one shot. <laughs> so... Yeah, and I'm pretty sure every other time I've watched him play, he's just been shooting. Right, he made from, he made nothing. So we, I do, I, I respect the man. Yeah, yeah, and we saw him play at Rupp actually, like this week or last week, and I mean the guy couldn't miss for half an hour, and they almost beat Kentucky in Rupp Arena because Isaiah Joe couldn't miss. So they scare me because they're really inconsistent. You like never know which Arkansas is going to show up, whereas like you have a pretty good idea of what Alabama is going to show up. It's just can you execute? Control the controllables. That's a very coaching answer we just both made. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I mean, it is that both of those teams are in the eight, nine game for a reason. They are pretty similar. So I, I I think that someone could make an argument for sure. Why, why they'd rather play Arkansas, but yeah, I'm, it sounds like we're both leaning in Alabama. So we have two more, uh, gate of 808 again. Uh, are these reasonable expectations for next year? Top five seed in tournament, 12 wins in conference play. Top three finish SEC, 20 regular season wins. Uh, semifinals of SEC tourney. I think so. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to dive too deep into that because we kind of already talked about it. But, yeah, I mean, I think all those things are pretty reasonable. Yeah, like I said earlier, I think um, I'm thinking Sweet 16 are better. So, I'll say yes, those are, uh, those are definitely reasonable. Good. And let me scroll down here. Make sure I didn't miss anything. Uh, thanks for all the listener questions again, everybody. We really, it actually makes the show much more fun. Jason Kessler asked if this game reminded us of the Mississippi state game. We already talked about, yes, <laughs> it did. In fact, remind us of the Mississippi state game. Good shout, Jason. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Jason. That is a really, uh, that's a, that's a yes. Um, absolutely. <laughs> oh, can we get a shout? Here's one that, uh, we got one from, <laughs> from Karen uh, who said, I finally get what you guys are talking about with Isaiah Stokes and Kavarius Hayes. Even though Hayes missed everything, Stokes came in and LSU scored five points. Well, Florida went to his zone, to be fair to Isaiah. <laughs> when, when that happened. Um, and I'm not really sure how victimized he got, but I'm glad that me like continually tweeting out the like field goal percentage stat that Eric produced is <laughs> starting to register with some people. <laughs> well, one th- uh, there's another play too. I, you know, we talked about me being hard on Allen. I'm also pretty hard on Stokes, and I, I see that. Um, one thing I really uh, thought was unfortunate was there was a play where where Okaru got in the game and had his uh, had a layup attempt just pounded against the glass by Nazarene. Yeah, Do you remember yeah. that play? So uh, I, this is something I talked about again. How um, some teams like Vanderbilt, the, their bigs do this really well, but uh, Okaru got a step, was headed to the lane for what should have been a fairly uncontested layup and uh, as soon as he gets a step on his man 
um, how I kind of would like to teach base to play <laughs> is, you know, you've got, you've got your man right next to you. You try to seal him. You try to make sure he cannot right. step over and help. And Isaiah Stokes just stood straight up. Nazareth stepped right around him. And Isaiah and Okaru, you know, suddenly has Nazareth in his face and he just plastered his, his layup attempt against the glass. And that was like kind of the like, and Isaiah Stokes is just kind of standing there because I think he saw the, you know, he sees a guy going to the, to the lane and he's going to the rim. And I think he thinks like, hey, I'll maybe fall off and see if I get a drop-off pass. But he wasn't even really in position for a drop-off pass. because. But yeah, there's just little, little things like that about being a big in modern basketball that I think you've got to be good at. And, and sealing the help to make sure they can't go contest a shot is one of them. And uh, that was just kind of another thing that I was just like, man, like, poor, like everyone's looking at it like, oh, look at Okara. We just got his, he just got pinned. But like, really, I'm just like, like that's Stokes not not sealing the help and and allowing Reed to get. So that's why Eric. This why we we do the show with Eric is, <laughs> I I did not see that happen and that's amazing. I was just impressed at the drive actually. <laughs> I was like, that's a pretty good drive. And, and well, so, great, so that was yeah, exactly. That was my my coaching reaction to it was people were going to be mad at Okario and it was a beautiful drive and a, a really good defensive play. But yeah, Eric points out. I guess what I hopefully would have noticed on video that it was avoidable <laughs> if you just seal your guy. Um, so that's it. Uh, we're, we're, that's, that's the show for tonight. Although I did want to add a final thought and kind of give Erica an opportunity to talk about it. But, you know, if I have a takeaway from the regular season, obviously there's a big game um, coming up and Kentucky has a senior this year. So they have a senior day. Um <laughs> The uh, my, my thought would be that I hope that the freshman class and, and I tweeted something about this and we talked about home home floor culture on the last show. And I hope the freshman class and then the incoming freshman class really take personally the challenge to to play better at home. But I also hope that the uh, Florida fan base uh, embraces that challenge with them and that as frustrated as they might be with coach white and the staff right now um, that they're not frustrated with, I think three freshmen who had really special freshman seasons, believe it or not. Um, And I I say special relative to being freshmen. So that's kind of my thought on it is, you know, there's a chance that it's going to be really fun to see them growing up. I think Andrew Nimhart will be back for a sophomore year. I I don't think uh, I've told Andrew, I don't really think I've told Eric, I don't really think Andrew is going to be, more than a two-year player, but I do think he'll be back for another season. Um, you know, some of the NBA stuff kind of could factor into that, I guess, but seems to me like he has a good bond with his teammates and chance to play with Trey Mann and Scotty Lewis is pretty cool. So I hope they really embrace that. I hope that's priority one is, you know, embrace your home floor. Yeah, no, I, I, I you look again, I kind of mentioned just how uh, a win or two, here and there this season um, in kind of winnable games that they ended up losing could have just how just it really totally could have shifted the way that Florida season has been where they are in tournament projection, everything like that. And then you look obviously at the fact that Florida's dropped some games at home that they should have won. And just, um, yeah, just thinking about how, like, Hey, how things could have been different if, if yeah, they took care of business at home. So I do hope that that changes. And, um, yeah, the fans can kind of uh, can show up when they need to help things out, but yeah, the players can also make it uh, make it an experience at Gainesville where yeah, they know it's going to be a tough place to play, and uh, 
yeah, and that's, uh, that the Odom can be back to being one of the one of the toughest places to play in the country. So there it is. We will uh, return before the SEC tournament, and um, you know we'll do a cool show on that. We'll, we'll obviously we'll talk about Florida's game, um, which Florida's seeding range is is actually anywhere from four to eight, I think. Uh, so based on tiebreakers and the way that all that that all breaks out, so you know. The the best case, the most likely scenario is that eight nine game, uh, for Florida, but I guess there's some sort of scenario where they're the four seed. Um, we'll talk about all that though, and and look forward to it. Thanks everybody. All right, I appreciate it. All right, thank yeah. you very much. Um, your uh, book was shipped finally. I don't know what took them so long. So, <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I'm yeah, no, to it's it. uh, it's really good. You know, and it's it's not all about basketball, obviously, but um, I, you know, I kind of like you. I kind of like that stuff. So, all right. Um, enjoy your. Oh, I was gonna oh, say go ahead. too. Sorry, just so yeah, just uh, still in Vegas. Um, so on um Saturday, I think that's um. The only time I could I could probably record after, um, like if like just because I think um, I'm going to be busy like Saturday night and then Sunday we are we're okay. headed home so I will probably uh, unless you, I was thinking like and or and, and I don't know I'm not sure you so I'm not sure pardon oh my wife <laughs> so so I yeah so I was curious if you uh, maybe wanted to podcast right like close to after the game on Saturday or Saturday night. Or um, I might uh, not be able to uh, to jump yeah. in unless uh, unless we want to save it till later on Monday. But we can kind of well, you know what? Um, let me know what your availability is. I mean, I'm, I'll be around. We could do a quick one on just the game, and then worry work because okay, we yeah. have some time till Thursday. Then we could probably oh yeah we could split right. them up, and that would probably be fine. Like we do like a thirty minute show after the game where we just talk about what happened. All right, sounds good. I'll let you okay, know. sounds good, man. Enjoy the rest of your trip. Oh, oh thank <laughs> you very bye much. Bye. Thanks for making yeah, that. No okay, bye, bye. Thank now. you. Sorry, sorry about that.